today in uh, Mark chapter 1, as I was saying before, in the fourth uh, se- uh, sermon that we're talking about in the idea of who the church is, I was talking about now the go part, the, the what does it look like part. And Mark chapter 1 uh, is, to me, it is an analogy of Jesus telling us what the New Testament church is supposed to look like. And so we started out and stayed for most of the service last week on the idea that Jesus' baptism, he was uh, baptized in obedience, and through that obedience, the Father said, I'm well pleased with you, and he released the Spirit of God upon him. And we talked about the Holy Spirit from Genesis all the way to in you uh, last week. And that's what uh, Jesus did. The Holy Spirit came in him, And then we look at uh, uh, Mark 14 and 15, and it talked about this was a special time of opportunity. That when Jesus came, he was opening up something that was going to be incredible for all of us. And it was going to need the power to last until he returns again. How many of you know that Jesus is coming back again? Amen. And so he said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It means it has drawn near to us. And Jesus was going to show us everything that was in the heavenly realms that could now come down to earth and be not only probable, but practical. How many of you know that we as believers, it should be natural to operate in the supernatural? Because these are not things that God has hidden from us. He's clearly outlined them in the word, the things that are available to us. And I know that not everybody understands the fullness of it. But I'm telling you, we're going to press forward until we find everything that God has to offer us. And then when we look at Mark chapter 1 through uh, 16 through 20, the first thing he did was form a team. And uh, we were never meant to be on an island. We were always meant to accomplish something for God. But we do it better when we do it together. So starting out in verse 21, it says they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teachings, and he's taught them as one having authority and not as scribes. And so the next thing that Jesus did was he began to teach people into an encounter. And that's what modern day pulpits are to do. Pastors are to encourage people through the word that what they hear from the pulpit is something that they can do outside of these four walls. How many of you realize that what we do here on Sunday morning is just a celebration of what you've done the other six days of the week for the Lord? When we worship, we worship out of a heart of celebration for all the things that God has honored us to do. These people, when it says when he taught, it says they were astonished. They were amazed. They were astounded at the things that he was teaching. They said it's not like he's teaching like a Pharisee or a scribe. Because he was teaching, saying, this is real, this can happen, this isn't something that you have to do to get better, this is something you're going to do because you get to, amen? How many of you realize in the kingdom of God that we get to do things that nobody in the right mind should have the opportunity to do, but God gives them to us. He's gave us the keys of the kingdom. And then what happened was, is uh, there was a demonic presence in the meeting and Jesus uh, closed the door on that demonic uh, presence with just uh, a couple words, be quiet and come out of him. He didn't rant, rave and scream. He just said, hey, be quiet, come out. Next part of my message. 
And so again, it, when they saw that, it says they were amazed. The next thing that we see Jesus do in verse 29, it said, as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. One of the things that I want you to realize is, is that most ministry in the kingdom happens this way. A friend of a friend tells you about a family right. member, you're in their presence, they're in your home, and you have the opportunity to pray for them and to be the church at 1209 Carroll Eastern Road or whatever your address is. See, this is the crooks of the New Testament church. That when God fills you with the Holy Spirit, that every place now, like Joshua, your foot shall tread. God has given it unto you, and he's given it to you for the purpose of being his hands and feet. Amen. So when you are in a situation where somebody has a need, that's what uh, God has called you to do is to be that part of the kingdom. Every time somebody enters your house, I want to challenge you, never let them leave without praying for them. Because that is a powerful uh, thing that God has given us the ability to do. So Jesus took her hand and he healed her. And then it says, and she got up and began to serve the group. See, that's what happens so often. Is that when people are touched by God, something's changed in them. And it changes their focus and they begin to do things for other people. And verse 32, and I'm kind of hurrying through this because I want to get to where I want to be today. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered at the door together with him. Now, look at the progression that we've made. Jesus has done a few things. He's taught in the synagogue. He's healed somebody in somebody's house. But how many of y'all know that just because they didn't have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook back there, how many of y'all know word of mouth travels pretty quickly, amen? So all of the people that were in this city has began to hear about all the great things that Jesus has done. Folks, that's what the church is about today. Telling people the testimonies of everything that you have seen and heard and been able to do so that people will come together. Everybody wants to be where miracles are. Amen. Everybody wants to be where the power of God is. Amen. Because God is amazing. And when uh, an amazing God does incredible things, people want to be a part of it. And then it says the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Come on now. Even the demons know, especially the demons know who Jesus is. They know that they're on a short leash. Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed into a solitary place. It says up through verse 39, I'm gonna paraphrase this. He went out to get away from the crowd. He went out because he knew he had to be re-energized. And we have to do that as well. We have to follow his lead. We have to take times that we separate ourselves from the rat race to get into God's race. And his race is best trained at his feet. And we have to take time every day, each day, to read the word, to worship God. Pop in the worship in your car, plug your phone in, uh, turn it on to uh, Pandora, put on Elevation Worship, and just worship him as you go to work. Prepare yourself for what God has in store for your destiny. 
And so we go on and in verse 40, Jesus touches the untouchable. How many of y'all know that there are untouchables in our society that nobody wants to be around? And those are exactly the people that Jesus wants to touch. Amen? Amen. These were lepers. And we talked about that in a, a different time when Jesus healed a different set of lepers that uh, he not only touched them, but he told them to move forward to their destiny. And they weren't healed at that exact second. This is important. But they were healed as they moved toward where God was calling them to do. You know, a lot of people are not healed at the second they get prayed for. Right. But as they move in obedience and trust as to what God is, it has done in their lives and they have faith to believe God does something amazing in their journey. Amen. How many of you realize we are all on a journey with God? Amen. So what is this healing thing all about? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 20, verse 17. I want you to understand that healing is just not a New Testament phenomenon. It is something that God has been able to do since the inception of earth, its creation, inception of all the stars and the atmosphere and everything being created. That same creative God can create miracles. Here we see in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 20, it says, so Abraham prayed to God, okay? Key number one, pray to God. He's the only one that can heal. Amen. Nobody can heal but God. Amen. Only God can heal. So when you need something that is supernatural beyond what anyone else can do, there's only one way to get that done, and that's pray to God. And God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants, then they bore children. Now, if you go back to this story, God had struck a curse on Abimelech and his family because of their disobedience. And Abraham stood in the gap for them. How many of y'all know that isn't it good that somebody stood in the gap for you at some time and prayed for you in the midst of needing salvation or needing healing? Somebody prayed for you in the week's time this week and you aren't even aware that they prayed for you, but people are praying for you. That, that God has called us to stand in the gap for other people, and that's what Abraham did. Abraham brought their case before God, and the Bible says that in verse 18, it goes on to say, For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because, Sarah Abraham, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You read the rest of the story, but what happened was, is God released healing unto them. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 103, and let's take a peek at that. Psalm 103, uh, verses 2 and 3. And in Psalm 103, verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. You know, I've said this to you guys multiple times, especially a lot in the last 18 months. Membership has benefits. Amen? Isn't that right, John? If you're a Kemba member, you've got some great benefits that no one else has can get because you're not a Kemba member. But when you join Kemba, you get benefits. When you join the kingdom, you get benefits. And the benefits are out of this world, literally out of this world. And verse three says, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all of your diseases. See, that's one of the benefits we get when we press in to who God is. Turn with me to Isaiah uh, chapter 53 now. Isaiah chapter 53, now we're moving into where the prophets are prophesying about what Jesus' life is going to bring us here on the earth. 
And uh, in uh, uh, Isaiah 53, 3, it says uh, in verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Go to verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Listen to this. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And in verse 5, it says this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And uh, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. How many of you realize that we grow in the concept of who God is as we journey through life together? In this uh, Wednesday's uh, midweek mail out, I wrote an article and I was talking about how God is able. Our God can do way more than we can imagine. God is doing things around us and behind us and through us that we're not even aware of and can't even comprehend, but we know he is there. In my life, I learned something at the beginning. In the first few months of my new relationship with Jesus, I knew he was more incredible than I could ever imagine. How many of you think God is incredible? Amen. As I learned and as I grew that he was personally invested in my physical health, uh, he healed me of a blood uh, of an issue of blood nosebleeds that I had suffered for 28 years. How did he do that? Listen to this through one word of knowledge and one prayer of a man on TV. I experienced for myself the power and compassion of God in the blink of an eye. He healed me of nosebleeds. I'm going to turn 60 in January. For 32 years, I've not had one nosebleed. In the first 28 years, I had more nosebleeds than I can even count. I can even remember. That's who God is. He does something in the midst of, of, of our journey. As I learned and as I grew that he is working to take care of my well-being when I was not even aware that he knew my suffering. My manna from heaven experience came at one of my lowest points when he spoke to a neighbor I had never met that we had no food and she was to fill my kitchen to overflowing with groceries. That's what God does. He works in a supernatural way and he works supernaturally through us. As I learned and as I grew that his word has life, and that no weapon formed against me from the enemy could stand between me and my calling and my purpose. Through the encouragement of a prophetic word concerning my destiny, I had the courage to stand in the face of my debilitating fear of flying. And in Jesus' name, he came to my rescue and he healed me once again. And three, four hundred, five hundred thousand miles later, I'm walking out in the midst of my destiny because God healed me. As I learned and I grew in my relationship with Jesus, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, I too can pray for people who need healing and they get healed. It's not because of me, it's because of the Jesus that lives within me. Can you see the progression of what happens in our journey? When we encounter God, our faith begins to grow to a whole nother level. And finally, I am learning as I am growing. What the scripture means when it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
It is through faith in Jesus that I continue to learn, continue to learn just how amazing God can be. Now, I've told you guys multiple stories and testimonies about how God has healed people all around the world. And sometimes we think, well, maybe we should fly to Africa and get prayed for and God would heal us. That's not so and that's not needed. And today I want to share with you just a couple testimonies to confirm what I'm talking about. Our first testimony is going to come via a Zoom recording this week from my good friend from uh, uh, Newburgh, New York. His name is Steve Aldrich. And before even the time that we're going to click on to this testimony, because we had to shorten it, Steve had had two strokes before we're even at the place where we're going to pick up his testimony. Two strokes, multiple heart attacks, destroyed lungs, and let's let Steve tell you the rest of the story. I had pneumonia 17 times in 2020, and they couldn't figure out why. Well, they figured out why I finally in July. They put me in the hospital for a week because nobody could get out. They didn't work in the hospital with the Bureau of Public, especially someone like me. So they finally said, well, I've got a time of being in July where they could figure out why I kept getting pneumonia. And also, that being just a whisker, in March of that year, I had a heart attack. Yeah. And I never discovered what I was about. Tell us about that. that. So I was sick. So I was, you know, it was just, it was just like every time I turned around, it was so I had this pressure on my chest. This was in the heart of COVID in March. So <clears throat> they said, well, you, it's, it's not a heart attack. You can have fluid around your lungs, around your heart. And was causing a little bit of depression pressure in your heart. So they sent me home that night. A month later, I, I, I had another episode. This time I was the Northern Dutchess Mother Hospital, North. So they came to me on Wednesday, the team of doctors, and said, we found a bad aortic valve in your heart area, and you're going to need a couple stents, and we found a bunch of arteries that need to be rotor-rooted or cleaned out. So we're going to keep up with blood thinners even now so we can do this procedure Friday morning. That 45 minutes into this, I hear the doctor go, I'm bewildered. And that was all I said. Maybe a half hour, another 45 minutes goes by, he says he's getting second time. I'm bewildered. Well, not the third time. He says it, he says this. I'm bewildered. Okay, guys, pull him up. They pull it up. He was coming to me. And then it takes two hours now. He wheeled a stool over to me and he said, he presented my shoes in the garage. I just don't get it. I have all these tests that were done to you this week for a new yard belt. We have to here. We were going to put two sits in. We were going to, we were going to clean out your, your arteries. I will not be there. And everything is perfectly pristine. Wow. I was like, oh, yeah. He says, you don't need a thing. I'm going to take that to your room. And so, the, the, the steward is taking me back to my room and he said, you're all quiet. And I said, that's because I'm bewildered. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, of course, when you were in for this test, you know, prayer requests have gone out everywhere. Everybody has been praying for you. Everybody, you, you got it. I mean, Pastor John put it out of our church. We had a team of people praying for us, pastors all over the, all over the world. It was right. just so awesome. When God's people come together, the power of prayer is nothing, nothing like it. So I am, I'm, so the doctor comes in, the, the cardiologist's boss, he walks in my room, and my wife is here now, she came down and let her in the surgery, 
way out. We insult him. So he walks in with his hands up like this. This is Robert, this is what happened. And I went to this guy, and when I was saying, were you telling me what they were doing? I, he said, how, he had a smile on his face. I said, well, I am a pastor, I'm a born-again believer, and I believe that Jesus Christ heals, and that a lot of people can pray for me. He put his hands up and says, praise the Lord, that's all you need for you, so later. I said, I like that. But Paul Knowledge comes in. He said, Steve, I heard what happened with your heart. That's awesome. Listen, you know I told you I'm going, I'm getting married, you want to have a honeymoon? When, you, when I get back, we'll get you back in here and do some tests and tell you what we're going to do in your moms. I said, okay. So we sent me home on an antibiotic. I went picked up the next morning, Saturday morning, at local pharmacy. I took the first pills, and then an hour, I'm sitting and dog, and I'm I'm vomiting. I had an allergy. I was allergic to the antibiotic. So my wife called the hospital, short of this, don't take it anymore. And we just went to the local colonialist, which is the way to be married. So this went on, and my lungs kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I couldn't even walk up the stairs to go to bed at night unless my wife and my daughter cut me upstairs. Well, Sam, so tell me what happened one night while you were in bed. So I, this is, this is, it was right during the time when they gave me some tanks to have oxygen. They wanted me on 24 7. They ordered machines, there was stuff. In my room, it was stuck all over the house. It looked like a built a, a nursing home for a nine-year-old guy, which I'm not. So I'm, I'm, it's like two o'clock in the morning one day. And I had an episode, I couldn't breathe. It felt like a truck was parked on my chest. I couldn't catch a breath. And I was gasping and gasping. And I finally set up on the backboard of my bed and was catching my breath. And all of a sudden, out of my bed, I didn't. Think about it, I just came out. I said, Jesus, you heal my heart. You heal my lungs. You take me home. I never had a little like this. And, and just like, I was surprised. My wife said, What did you say? <laughs> so it was probably 10 days later. Every night when I go to bed, I had an air, special air filter in my, in my room, a half filter, and it casts this blue shadow on the ceiling, and we have a ceiling fan in our room. And every single night I would just fall asleep quoting the scripture from James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, the Father of us, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turn. Come on. Every night I said that. And then I would back to him and I said, Thank you, Lord, for the gift of healing my heart. Right. And I would say, Thank you, Lord, for the gift of healing my lungs. Now, 10 days later, I was listening to a teaching Captain Coleman did on video in this period of 10 days. And something hit me so hard. Her piano player, who, who, who played her for years, came up to her after a meeting one night and he said, Miss Coleman, could you explain to me your definition of faith? And she says, Oh, my dear boy, I certainly can. Stop believing what you see. And start seeing what you believe. That's how it changed my life. It changed my life, boy. Up and then you're in the shower. I was in the shower. So now I'm in the shower. And, and, I, and the Lord asked me, He says, I want you to repeat that scripture you say every night to me. So I did. I said, Every good and perfect. I didn't even get to the scripture. All of a sudden, I had to rip the shower walls because something started to shake in my stomach. It lasted about 10 seconds, and then it was over. Oh, well, that was weird. 
So typically I pop out of the shower, towel down, put the thing over my ears, and put the nose in my oxygen. I was all at home. I got out of the shower, the sedation is so different. So I took a deep breath three times. If I had done that with oxygen, I would be coughing and acting. I stood in my, my sh in my bathroom, getting dressed, and I said, Jesus, did you just see me? Mm -hmm. Then a friend of mine gave me a lot of oxygen every day to get back to it. He walked in the door and said, Steve, something's out of you. What might happen? So I told him. And sure enough, the Lord had healed my lungs. Wow. So I, I slowly need up oxygen. I quit running a machine during the day. I no longer had to go for walks with a bottle of oxygen. I could breathe again. I did not for a while. I had a lot of lethargy in my muscles. So short of this, I had to build my strength back up. So one day, my, my trunk lung transplant doctor, who had told me earlier, <clears throat> you don't have a lung transplant, but it's going to give you eight months to live. <clears throat> Met with a few different doctors. One of the local doctors he told me that I said, so somebody tells you, tell me, someone has to die for me to get your lungs. He said, well, that, that's how it works. I said, but the problem I have is someone did die for me, and he said, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. Come on. Zero faith is transplant. God. So I was just working all that through. And it's the, the incredible thing, they retested all the tests that I had before. So they sent all the results that I would do the testing all over this New York City. About two weeks later, we get the results. We got a phone call back from the head of the transplant team. Mr. Aldrich, we were a Zoom call, like, he said, you look amazing. I said, I feel good. Can you tell me what you've been doing for these test results to change? She <laughs> would not drop. The fact that some, I've been seeing somebody else rather than that. As I haven't seen any others. Only Dr. Jesus. A lot of people have been praying for me. So, yeah, but what really happened? She had I said, the power of prayer. I said, the power of prayer. That's it. That's all that's happened. So, finally, in the conversation, she took her glasses off like this, set them on her head, and leaned back in her chair. Says, okay, I cannot deny these test results. I don't know what to tell you, but I'm going to have a staff meeting tomorrow with all my staff because in the 36 or 37, I can't remember how many years, she said, I'll meet you when you transplant. You're the first person to ever be taken on the Come on. So, by the way, I mean, make sure you take and you have a long transplant. Come on. Needed a lung, do you know how many lung transplants work? Three to seven percent of lung transplants work. 
And that's why he didn't have any faith in that, but he had faith in Jesus. That's a miracle healing. Would you not agree with me? Woo, that is amazing. One of the things that he talked about was believing with a different set of eyes. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, uh, a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. And listen to what 18 says. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. And that's what healing is. Yeah. Healing is something you don't see before you call on King Jesus Amen. to come and be the physician that we need. How many of you remember the story of Lazarus, that Jesus' friend, and he had passed away, and he had been in the tomb for a long time, and he came back in, and with these words, he said, Lazarus, come out. Well, today, uh, I have my friend John here, and uh, John and I were acquainted a while back. He's worked at Kemba. I've been a Kemba member since Rockwell days. That's a long time. And uh, he helped us to close a house loan. But isn't it interesting? I'm going to tell you, because I just learned something a little bit about that, that uh, it wasn't working out. The person I was working with, it wasn't working out. And come to find out, they left Kemba. So they came to John one day and said, hey, here's this. Do something with it. And he's like, I ain't got no time to do this. I got. And so I remember him. We sit in a, we were in the lobby in that glass conference room. I remember it perfectly. And you bopped in with a big cheesy smile because you knew I wasn't thrilled with the whole deal. And you just, you did it like a champ. And so we ended up refining our house on prior. First 10 year, 2.75% loan. So this last, you know, you know we've been through the refinancing as a church. Well, it's because of spending nine months with this guy that we got our church refi. So can we just clap and thank John for all that work? And so John, come on up here. Let's just sit here on these stools real quick. And uh, nothing's quick here, you know that. You've probably learned that. So that's okay, you don't have to sit. This is just because it looks cool for the camera. So, so come to find out that when uh, I started calling Kemba again to do a refi for the church and started talking to John. Well, what happened was we would talk about the bank loan for like 30 seconds and then we would talk about Jesus for 45 minutes. I would get off the phone and I would tell Tammy, I said, she goes, well, how's the loan coming? I said, I have no idea. We talked about the loan for one minute and then we talked about Jesus for 45 minutes. She goes, you did that the last time. You gotta find something out about the loan. I said, I'm trying, but what we're talking about is Jesus. So that what we were talking about is this man's amazing testimony. And so, uh, John, let me pick it up. One day you were, I guess that Kemba has a workout room, is what I take it, and you were working out, and then something happened. What happened? Well, I was on my, actually, I, I went into uh, to work early, and um, I, I actually don't like to work out early, but I think my wife had to go to Michigan in the morning, and uh, so I, I'd gone into work. I don't remember any of this, by the way, um, but I went into my office, I, I 
got my, because I turned on my computer, but then I went to the workout room, and we have key fobs, so you could kind of tell when you key fob into a place. And I hadn't started working out. I key fobbed into the dressing room, I changed. I always put my phone in a certain place when I work out. But then um, I started, I, I had cardiac arrest, the fatal rhythm. So for those of you that know what cardiac arrest is, it's not a heart attack, it's electrical. So it's when your heart beats about 350, 450 beats a minute, and then it just dies. It's very rare to survive that if you're in a hospital. But if you're in a workout room with no one else there, if you go down, then you just go down. So at any rate, um, I don't remember it. I don't remember being in the room or whatever the case is. But for someone, when they eventually found me, they found me through about four doors and about 35 yards, maybe outside of that. And um, for part of it, there is video, security video, not in the workout room or the dressing room, but outside of that. But people always ask me, well, do you remember anything? Because ultimately what happened is when I got outside, I died. They said I was dead between eight to 12 minutes. Now eight to 12 minutes, if you talk to any doctor, is gonna tell you that I shouldn't be here talking to you, let alone here. Right. But, and people always ask me, did you see the light? Did you see the right. family? Did you see, there's a lot of things. You get a lot of great questions. And I, and I always tell them, I said, I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything, I didn't hear anything, but I do remember one thing. And I, and I just wanna kind of prompt you that all this happened, they couldn't get my heart started there, they couldn't get my heart started in a, an ambulance, they got my heart started at a hospital where I was in a coma for four and a half days. I don't remember any of this, but what I do remember is on the third door, not the fourth door, but the third door, I remember falling into the door and I was on my knees trying to pull myself up and I just fell into it and I said, God, take me or help me, but I cannot take another step by myself. That's all I remember and my memory leaves me. Now, the video camera catches me walk through that door, collapse three or four more times, get through another door, collapse, probably 10 times, I was holding on, just holding on to my chest, uh, which is an eerie feeling when you see yourself, right. but you don't remember wow. any piece of it. But at any rate, I don't remember any of that. Now, my wife was on the way to Michigan and was almost in Michigan, and, and they, they called her and said, come back, and, and I'll paraphrase, basically to say goodbye to him. Mm. And, and, and her sister, was one of the first people at the hospital, and they said, hey, it's, it's just not good. Um, a, you mentioned earlier about standing in the gap. And so I, I think it's important that I really bring this back. Of course, my wife is gonna pray for me, and of course, my family's gonna pray for me. But there's a gentleman that worked with me at Kemba, and his name is David Ensminger. And his boss called him, because he wasn't in. And he was telling me, he just dropped to his knees and he said, not today, devil, you cannot have, you cannot affect him, and, and, and he prayed for me. And, uh, and, and Dave is a very faithful man, and, and to this day that he's no longer at Kemba, but we, we pray about everything together. It is important that we stand in the gap for each other. And I, I just wanna, I wanna say this because that happened 
And I, I, you know, I went in on a Friday with cardiac arrest. I was in a coma for four and a half days, and I left the next Friday from that hospital. Wow. And no one understands why, including Cleveland Clinic, because I happened to go up to the Cleveland Clinic to get another opinion to find out what happened to me. And the lady said, listen, I got to go. She was the head of over. She said, I'm going to teach a class, but I'm going to come back. And she just said, listen, I can't explain this. It doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be here. Wow. But get a defibrillator, because if it happens again, you're not going to live. And I'm like, well, I mean, if I live the first time and God decided <laughs> right. I didn't live, I, I think right. I might. Uh, so I'm a little torn about it, but I, ended up, I did get a defibrillator. But yeah. Anyway, so that was the first situation. And then shortly after that, you had received some, some more news. I did. I did. Um, so as I said, I had got a defibrillator. So it was a couple months later, and I had got a defibrillator. And... Uh, a month after I'd gotten that, I, I was going in for uh, just a checkup to see how it is. But the night before, uh, the, the, the kids were over, and I couldn't even stay up with them. I had such pain in my stomach. So when I went to the appointment, he started feeling around. He said, hey, I think you have a hernia. And I said, well, I, I can't have a hernia because I haven't done anything for three months. I mean, I haven't been able to do anything. So I went. He said, well, why don't we get scanned? And so we went and got some scans. And I was in so much pain. My family doctor called me and said, hey, we got the results back. Why don't you come to my office at 6.30? And in hindsight, the nurse that helped me with my um, scans also was looking at me with sad eyes. And I, I just didn't understand it. Well, anyway, so I went home. At 6.30, we go back. And, and our daughter was in the car with us. Our wife was helping as normal, taking care of everything with our kids, especially during this time. And uh, so I was in there by myself, and uh, Damon was just, he, my doctor's faithful man, and he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, you have cancer, and it's, it's terminal. There's nothing we can do. Mm. And I go, what? And I literally just put my hands on my head and just started crying. And I lost all faith. I lost all faith. He just brought me back from being dead, and I lost faith. Anyways, my wife comes in, and uh, I, I'm still sitting there. I said, listen, I can't tell her. And so he told her, and our daughter's in the car, but we didn't know what kind of cancer. We just, know, we just knew that it had metastasized. So I had tumors, three in my abdomen, four or five maybe in my lungs, and one in my liver. And uh, so we just kind of got ourselves together, and we just, because we didn't know anything else, we weren't going to tell the kids, and we just got in the car to go home. And, as, as, and when we got home, <clears throat> I called my brother, David Ensminger. And uh, he said, hey, how are the scans? I go, well, it looks like I'm going to die. He goes, well, I know you're going to die, but when? I go, well, soon. And I started crying again. He goes, let's pray. And to me, to me, this was the greatest miracle that ever happened to me. We went into our cl my closet, and I I put the phone down in front of me, and I got on my knees. And I just had my head down. And David didn't pray for healing. He prayed that God would wrap his arms around me and to comfort me and to take all fear and anxiety away from me. And I felt warmth. I turned around because I thought my wife came in and put a blanket on her or something. I don't know. And there was no one there. And, uh, and then he went on to pray for healing. But honestly, I didn't really care. I didn't care. I felt great. I felt great. I felt warmth. I felt love. 
I don't know exactly. I, I can't define what God's love is, but that touch was love. So anyways, I, I, I got up after he prayed and I said, I'll see you tomorrow and went out and, and our wife was talking to our daughter and she was on the couch and I handed our daughter our phone. I said, well, let me take a picture. Amber looked at me, my wife Amber, by the way, right here. And she said, I don't, John. <laughs> she goes, I, and you know, our faces, although we cleaned up, probably still red. And you know, when you've been crying. And, sure. And uh, no, I said, let's take a picture. So she, her daughter took a picture of us. And you know, that was a Thursday. And on Sunday night, I collapsed at home. There are a lot of things that happened, a lot of miracles along the way. But what I'll tell you is, I went into the hospital. They said, hey, we did another scan. They said, we found another tumor. You might not make it through the night. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to make it through the night. I feel fine. I still, I honestly, I, there was no fear left in me. Did your faith resume at this point? Or? My faith never left after he touched me. Right. And after Dave, you know, prayed for me. And again, Dave stood in the gap. When I lost faith... He was there. Amen. And again, I cannot emphasize again, if you say you will pray for someone, then you pray for someone. Right. Do it right then. Do it then. <laughs> or do, if, if you can't then, just do it. <laughs> right. The reality of it is there is nothing more important than that. Yeah. And having brothers and sisters, and I say that not by family, but just through Christ, that you, that you can rely on to pray with is important in life. It will get us through more than you could ever get through by yourself. Amen. I just wasn't really worried. As a matter of fact, the, the time I collapsed when we had to go in, I didn't even want to call the ambulance because our kids were there and they still didn't know anything. And so the cat's out of the back because we had to call the ambulance. Right. But then again, the, so the next day, they, as a matter of fact, in the middle of the night, they transfer us to, to Riverside and... Um, a funny story is they, they I fell and hit my head when I passed out. So they transferred me in the middle of the night because they said, hey, he had a head trauma. So when I get to Riverside, people are lined up and they're like, a head trauma? I'm like, I'm looking around and they're like, well, what happened? I said, well, I don't know. I passed out. I hit my head, but I think I'm all right. Another person, what happened? I passed out, bumped out, hit my head. So finally the third person comes up. I go, you're asking the guy that passed out what happened. <laughs> Now, my wife and I at the time were not married, but we realized after the first time we were in the hospital right. that we say, hey, I always say it's my wife because they won't talk to her. Right. It wasn't. So I said, please go out. To my wife's out there. She can explain exactly what happened. So anyways, they come out and the lady comes back in and I'm Greek, so I get a little irritated a lot and I'm thinking they're going to ask me the same question again. I go, what? She goes, well... You said to go outside and ask your wife, but there's a lady out there that says she's your girlfriend. Should we be expecting your wife? I'm like, no. No, you can talk to her. She's, she knows everything. So anyway, that was, I just had to say that, because that did happen, so we had a comical moment there. But the next day, they kept coming in saying, hey, we're going to do a biopsy, but there's, there's nothing we can do. And then one doctor's assistant came in and said, hey, you know, You've been complaining about this for a while. Looks on your chart. We think you might have testicular cancer. And I go, yeah, I've been complaining about it, but no one really cares because of my heart. And they're like, yeah, you know, we think you have that. I go, okay, what, what does that mean? She goes, well, it's curable. And I just started, I literally started laughing. And, uh, and uh, so through a lot of progression, that's exactly what I had. And uh, the treatment wasn't fun. So any 
cancer survivor, anybody that goes through treatment, um, my heart always goes out to everybody because I understand what it's like to go through a very strict and difficult regimen. But um, God got me through it. And, you know, I, I prayed every day when I was in the hospital. Um, I had to keep going back for, in the hospital for treatments. But there were so many other little miracles. Like there was, my tumor was bleeding, which was the reason I collapsed. And they said, well, we're going to try to find this little vein that's bleeding in you because we can't give you treatment. And I may, you know, Dave said, listen, before you go into surgery, you make everybody pray. And you pray for them. And we did, and I would wake up, and the doctor goes, well, I found it. Like he was surprised. I said, okay. And he said, yeah, I couldn't get it to stop. I go, okay. He goes, but, but it, it just stopped. I said, okay. And so I just, you know, just, you just keep going. And there's so many of these little things. And, you know, like the testimony that he said, it, it, God can. I don't understand why he does or why he doesn't or all about prayers. But I know that he can. And um, so, again, fast forward to my final surgery. I I had to get this really big tumor. It was about a grapefruit size out of me. And the doctor um, said, listen, whatever this tumor is made of, we're going to have to operate on your lungs, your liver to get these other tumors out. But, you know, we'll we'll see. And he said, it's cancer, but it's also this type of um, cancer has growth to it. Well, anyway, we, we go in for the for the uh, surgery, and it's supposed to be a three or four hour surgery, so my wife and I, it was in Indianapolis, by the way, because that's where the experts are, it's where Lance Armstrong had his same surgeon, and um, it was done in an hour, and so they called my wife to, uh, to go into a room, and she's like, well, it's supposed to be third, three hours, you know, and so forth. And, and basically, they, they took the tumor out, and they said, well, it's all dead cancer tissue. Mm. There's nothing else in there. Wow. So, and I wow. go, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, we're going to check it to make sure, but, <laughs> but that means you don't have to do any other surgeries. It wow. means all, everything should be scar tissue. It'll, it'll just go away. And uh, they did the pathology, and it was 95% just dead cancer and no, he goes I've never seen something that big that wasn't this growth so that was the end of my treatment Wow. February 1st 2016 so they didn't have to go into your liver your lungs or really it still may have some residual but they, they're like it'll it'll break up it's they don't even check it anymore wow so heart's good heart's great all the bodies you look like a stud I'm not I'm not and here is I'll tell you this but you know one thing I will tell you people try to excuse away miracles all the time yes. so let's let's not I, I what I want I just want to I want you to know that you know people say well it's, you know you survive cardiac arrest because you exercise right. or you survive you know cancer you don't survive any of that because of any other reason besides God exactly. and so the only reason I survived that was because God Chose and I, I and I will tell you I was I spoke at another church and I wanted to make sure I added this because I talked things? to yeah the three on, things the three things, you. Um, you know, I, the first time I spoke about this they they wanted me to say, you know what happened so I was writing it all down and writing it all down and I just didn't feel right about it so I just started praying about it, and God basically said tell the story but add these three things, and then there's a fourth that I added that kind of complements that, number one. God is God. There is nothing in this world or in any other world more powerful than God. Number two, 
As powerful as God is, the devil is persistent. He will keep coming at you, and he will not stop. So you need to understand. Number three is, you have the power, side with me, with God. Amen. And so those three things you want to say, and, and, and the other thing is, God does not stop any of the storms in our lives. Well, he may, and we may not even know him. He may have saved you from a car accident or from anything else. But, but God truly is here to get us through the storms. Yes. And that, that faith that we have in him that gets us through the, the storm builds our relationship with him, but also strengthens our joy in this world. Amen. And so it's, it's just important that I, th- I, I share that with everybody because to me, I think the story is great, and if it makes one person believe in God, that's great. But I really want you to know that, that, that God is the most powerful thing in the world. And he's your father. And the devil will come at you. And believe me, he came at me when, after I had been saved by cardiac arrest with cancer. And I, I forgot about that I'd gotten saved. So that's how persistent he is. And he'll come at you. But you always got to side with God. And, and I'll tell you, having someone to stand in the gap with you is, is incredible. Well, that's amazing. You know, it's been, it's been an incredible time since last December that you and I have just talked, I don't know how many times, uh, over the phone. But just to know, you know, your faith and, you know, know where you always lead every conversation back to, well, we should probably pray or God is good and God's amazing. And, you know, let me tell you, yeah, that's where your biggest lies. Well, let me tell you something. And so then you tell me something amazing about God. And, you know, this is something that somebody has experienced on their own. And uh, you can't deny what God has done in in this man's life. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree. Okay, so listen, I have all kinds of other things that I want to preach because I love to preach, but I think it's time just to activate. I know that some of you came today and you have some things that you want to have prayed for. And some of you, uh, we, we know from some outside requests that people who are not here, but we want to pray for them anyway. And you know what? I believe that whatever is not right in your life, whether it's relationships, whether it's you, where you're at spiritually, whether it's a physical uh, thing that you have going on in your life, that God is able to do what he did for Lazarus, what he did for my friend Steve Aldrich, what he did for my friend John, he can do it for you too. He is no respecter of persons. And uh, some of y'all rolled in here thinking, well, maybe if I would have got it together, maybe if I'd have cleaned up my act, it ain't got nothing to do with you getting it together or you cleaning up your act. God's beyond your act. He's bigger than your act. And so today I just want, uh, I'd like my eldership team to come forward. And uh, I'd like for those who have an incredible faith that God can heal, I want you to come forward right now as well. And then what I want to do is, is uh, who came today saying, Pastor, I'd like to be healed of something? Awesome, awesome, I love it, I love it. Okay, so let's have all y'all who want to be healed, come right here just for a second, okay?